0: I hope you're well today. Thank you for sitting in that for a little while. Isn't it crazy how easy it is to move through that? To move past that? And how little time we leave just to sit in the presence of God and to hear him. Did you guys, anybody else hear the whirring of the stuff in the back? Isn't it weird when we get quiet, all the things you start to hear and how the enemy will get you to pay attention to like, you know, where you're going for lunch? Huh, we do, it happens, this is how it goes. And sometimes it's important that we force ourselves to stop and listen and not just talk all the time, right? not just move through the service, but allow the space for God to be present. That is the reason that we're here, you know? If you're brand new today, thank you for coming. I'm really glad you're here. I hope that you'll feel welcome in this family. Uh, that is what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, if that didn't get accomplished, my heart would hurt. So let me know, and I'll blame somebody. We're gonna be in Acts chapter six today. We've been through Acts chapters one through five. And remember, again, there's no way for us to get all the goodness out of every single chapter in the short time that we have together. So I wanna encourage you that as you go through the week, if you're in a community group, you've been going through this a little more in depth. If you're not in a community group, I hope that you consider that. But more than that, I hope that you would be diving into the word Monday through Saturday, trying to understand and glean and take hold of the whole scripture and that you're not just getting what you need on Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's encouragement. One through five, last week Jeremiah did a phenomenal job of of teaching through chapter five. We've seen people be arrested, we've seen the Holy Spirit come, we've seen that relationship make the difference, right? Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, Ananias and Sapphira, that's a crazy story. And then people still came. I was talking to a friend last night. People still came to follow God. Two people died on the spot for being having wicked motives in their heart. And people were like, oh, I want to follow that God. <laughs> this is not the church growth strategy you've been looking for. Today we're going to be in chapter six where we're introduced to Stephen. And we're getting right, very close to this kind of the... Um, The climax of the ministry happening in Jerusalem. We're just on the cusp of seeing the gospel leave Jerusalem out into the world. And I don't want to jump the gun because next week's going to be crazy. But we meet Stephen today. And there's some really great truths in this particular part of the passage that we need to understand as a church. As a pastor in the American church, there's a conversation that happens a lot. There's books written on it. There's comparisons made. There's, you probably follow somebody who you might glean some things from. The conversation revolves around church growth. Right? We're trying to figure out how, you know, we can be the biggest, fastest growing, most people church in the world. This is a common conversation that happens. It's not a bad conversation in and of itself. Right? Do we want the church to grow? Yes. The church isn't growing, we aren't doing our job. But I'll, let me ask you a question. By what means does a church grow? What's a great gro- a church growth plan? If I ask you that question, if you're business-minded, you're like, Johnny, I got, the, I got it, I got the strategy. Right, maybe you've never thought about the question. Right, maybe you have some ideas somewhere along the way, Right? There's endless books written on the way to grow the church. Endless. And a lot of times, the only book that is not consulted is the one we're reading. Endless books are written about the best way to get your church to grow. And a lot of times, the book that we are studying isn't consulted in the process. Well, today we're going to consult the one, we're going to consult the only book, in my opinion, that matters. It's not that all the books are bad. It's not that all the authors are bad and have poor motives. I'm not condemning or indicting anybody. This is not what I'm saying. I am saying, though, that we have a pretty great understanding about how it grew. Because there has never been a church in the history of the earth that bears a name of somebody else or the next cool hip name, right? Rise, grow. I don't know, the church names are crazy. I saw one that just said the church. I thought that was the best one I've ever seen. Of course, I have no idea what that means to them, but that, it was a great name. Because the one that we're gonna talk about started bigger, faster, and better than any other church and has never stopped growing. It's never stopped. Nobody will ever beat it. Because the name that it bears isn't mine and it isn't yours or whoever the next cool pastor is in skinny jeans or baggy jeans or slacks or whatever your flavor might be. So today we're gonna check this out. Let's go, Acts chapter six. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, Right, we just, if you back up a little bit to chapter five, the end of chapter five, right there before the Sanhedrin, uh, Gamaliel, he gives his speech, it persuades them, and it says that they had them flogged and set them loose. And they went skipping out of there like it was Christmas. Because they, it says that they, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Now, Don't gloss over what happened. They were flogged. Do you know what this means? You know this from the the scriptures about Jesus. This wasn't just some like, this wasn't a tongue lashing. It was a lashing lashing. It ripped open their backs. It would have caused pain and actual suffering. They left bleeding and broken. And they left praising God because they were counted worthy. Sounds like a great church experience. But they left suffering knowing that it was for something bigger than themselves. So in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, among them, complained against the uh, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now here's the situation. There's a group of people that basically the cultural divides infiltrate and kind of float over into the church right? Taking care of widows and orphans is not a New Testament thing, right? Taking care of widows is something God has asked his people to do for a long, long, long time. What was happening though is there were a group of widows belonging to the Hebraic Jews, right? Those in Jerusalem and people who are like in. We're we're getting distributed food more and better than those who were the Hellenistic Jews. These were the Grecian Jews. People would who were, they spoke Greek as their native tongue, but they were also Jews, right? And so they were all widows and they all had need, but one group was getting taken care of while another group was not. They were being overlooked, it says. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. It would be like this, right? The leaders would gather, hey, everybody, everybody's in the room, family meeting. Hey, listen, we've got a problem. The church is growing, Right There's a lot of more need, and there's only 12 of us, and there's a lot of you, so we need to come up with a solution. There seems to be an imbalance in provision. What are we gonna do about it? It says, so hey, listen, it would not be right for us, the apostle said, it would not be right for us to neglect our primary role, right, and then be over here. It's not that what needed to be done was menial or not important, But we are called to do this thing, but we know that there's this problem. So instead of us doing all of it, we need to come up with a solution so that the burden can be uh, bore correctly, right, with more people and more hands. So they came up with a plan that everybody agreed to. It says, brothers, verse three, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. When you're looking for leaders and you're looking for people to be in charge of things, what are the qualifications? What are the lists? You know, what's the list? Well, we want them to have charisma, we want them to be capable organized, responsible, right? The personality test, they need to be a lion or whatever it is. Don't start throwing numbers at me. I'll put the mic down and leave. (laughs) Right, but what we look for, it's the same problem that we have had as people when they looked for a king. What did they look for? Tallest, most handsome, biggest, strongest, baddest, And what did God say then? He said, look, you look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And so what is it that they were looking for for people to lead and serve and care for the needs of other people? What does it say? Look for people who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. I'll put that on the the next job, the next job, uh, thank you, description. (laughs) Are you known to be full of the spirit of God? And are you full of wisdom? What if you got hired on that, on your resume? Johnny Marks, hmm. Skills, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Send, delete. <laughs> People be like, huh? Even churches, if that, was your, if that was what you had, full of the Holy Spirit, oh, he's one of those. Huh. Full of, the whole, full of wisdom, oh, really? He's so, he must be charismatic and arrogant, right? But this is what they looked for. See, what had happened is the leaders knew that the way it was going wasn't working, and they knew they had to flex and change the procedure in order to accommodate the need. And what they realized is that they were the problem. Leaders realizing they're the problem? Is this real? And they invited the whole company of disciples in the conversation. They said, hey, let's come up with a plan. And you know who they turned it over to? They turned it over to seven people who were not Hebrews by birth. They were part of the company of the people who were overlooked. Six of them were Hellenists, six of them were Grecian Jews, and one was a convert to Judaism. You guys take care of these responsibilities, so the idea was agreed upon, and then the apostles appointed those people, right? Let's look into who this was. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Curus, uh, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Stephen, his name means a victor's crown, Victor's crown. The word crown has two words that are referred to it. One is uh, diadema, which we get diadem, and one is Stephanos. One you can inherit, one you have to earn. Stephen earned his name, as we will see going forward. They presented them to the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This was a common practice to those who were appointing, right, ordaining people to the ministry of what was needed. Verse 7, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is crazy, listen. You see this over and over. Large numbers, it increased, and it came rapidly and increased some more. What in the world were they doing differently that caused their number to grow so rapidly? Let's look at chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering, for, excuse me, of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stopped proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ both at the temple courts and from house to house. They taught that Jesus is the Christ in the temple courts and from house to house every single day and they never stopped. That was their plan for church growth. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say they never stopped planning ways to grow the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that they studied endless amounts of Bible study material written by the latest, hippest, prophet, or cultural teacher or influencer on social media. It doesn't say any of those things. It says that every day they woke up, they made it their aim to preach and teach that Jesus is the Christ, and they did it at the temple courts, and they did it from house to house. That was their growth plan. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they went and they just did that over and over and over again. And what's interesting, it's not that Jesus was the Christ. It's written is, because the same Jesus still is the Christ, The same Jesus still is the hope of the world. The same Jesus is salvation. The same Jesus is where we find forgiveness. He is what we're looking for and he is what the world actually needs to be fixed from all its sin and brokenness. And we could do a number of things that would fill all these seats, force us to have five services and our tithe would be fantastic. But if we don't wake up every day, every single one of us, Every single one, not me, not the elders, not the staff, not just a few key leaders, not the people who are overseeing the prayer meetings, but if every believer in here woke up every day pursuing anybody who would listen to tell them that Jesus is the Christ, both in the temple courts and from house to house, and you did that every single day, do you know what would happen? The exact same thing. And then we'd have to find and identify a bunch of people who we could send out to go do this somewhere else because we wouldn't have any room. Do you know the problem I wanna have? That one. The problem I wanna have is that so many people are coming to know Jesus as the Christ, as the Savior, as the risen Lord, that we don't have enough room and that the problem, we're gonna have to sit in a family meeting and go, hey, does anybody feel called to be pastoring because we need to send you out to go and do this elsewhere and and help other people do this because we don't have any more room for people because there's too many people coming to know Jesus. But it means we might have to make some adjustments, Right? Am I crazy? I'm just telling you what it says. I don't, I'm not trying to make it a certain way. I'm just telling you what it says. It meant that they had to trust one another. The emphasis of Stephen's life was fullness. He was full of the spirit and wisdom. He was full of faith. He was full of power. And in the scripture, to be full means... To be controlled by, listen, what are you controlled by? What are you full of? (laughs) Don't be nudging your neighbor. Hey, you know what you're full of? Don't we wanna be people who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and full of faith and full of power? that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, controlled by faith, controlled by this fullness that is given from God. Now, man of, Stephen, a man, verse eight, full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose. Would you look at that? See, when you are full of God's goodness and you are full of the Spirit's power and you are going in that fullness, opposition will arise. Do you know why? Because the devil doesn't want the church to grow or go forward. The devil doesn't want the very simple honest, transparent, real message that Jesus is the answer to go out into the world. He wants it to be about programs. He wants it to be about power and control. The devil wants it to be about a lot of things, but we have to remind ourselves over and over that the real church, the church described here, is full, controlled by, taken over by the spirit of God. His power is full of faith and wisdom. It arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of uh, Cilicia and Asia. Now it's thought that there was a discussion. people heard Stephen teaching, and they went to argue with him. They went to shut him up. And there's very high likelihood that Saul of Tarsus, who was from Cilicia, was actually there arguing with him. And that'll make more sense in the next chapter. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Listen, it's not that he had the best political argument. It's not that he was convincing about his side's view. He was speaking the power of the spirit, full of faith and wisdom, and people didn't have an answer. They didn't have an answer because he was speaking in the power of God, not in his own wisdom. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people who were religious leaders held the temple as an idol and the law as an idol And the temple was meant to meet with God and the law was meant to be obedient to God and have relationship, but they elevated it to a place of idolatry. It says, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound familiar? Mark chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, I just want you to hear this. The chief priests, they were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Some stood up and said, blasphemy. It's the same thing. Very, very similar. And then it says that they noticed that his face shone radiantly. The Bible says in Second Corinthians that we will all reflect the Lord's glory. Who they chose mattered. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Having church busyness is not the same as doing church business. Having church busyness is not the same as doing church business. Being busy with the wrong things will always keep us from spending time doing the spiritual things that matter. And when a few people seek to do all the work, not trusting others to use their gifts to grow the kingdom of God, the whole church will suffer. This is what's shown here. And the leaders of the church at the beginning had to do it differently because they were doing too much. This is what we're going to do as a church. We have to, right? You all have been given gifts as well. If your intent is to come to church so that we can feel better about ourselves, this is not what we read in the book of Acts or anywhere else in the Bible. But it is a bunch of people using their gifts to glorify God, build up the church, and see people come to know Jesus as the Christ. And when the faith church faces a serious problem, right, it gives us a number of opportunities. The first Opportunities to examine our ministry and discover what changes might have to be made. Right In this particular case, the apostles were to blame and they knew it, so they flexed and changed. Church problems also give us an opportunity to exercise our faith, not only in the Lord, but in each other. Trust is a must. <laughs> problems also give us the opportunity to express our love, right? Hebrews 12, nine and 10 says that I have brotherly love for one another and not look at yourselves as more important than others. Philippians chapter two says, do nothing out of vain ambition or conceit, but consider others as more important than yourselves. We have to trust and love one another. Now what? Now what? Here's the thing, in business, right, how do we sell out to be a moral company, right? Well, you can't just be a moral company. You have to go back through your supply chain. You have to go back and how your money is invested. There's a lot of things that we do. If you're going to sell out to be a God-honoring company, there's some things that you have to do. As a church, how do you sell out to be this? Acts 5.42 gives us a great pattern. Daily Christian service. It was every day. Every day, day after day. We have to serve God's house and we have to serve from house to house. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not an hour a week commitment or a two hour if you're in community group. House to house. Where do you need to be to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ? Work from every member. Do you know that we'll never get this done if you don't jump in and participate. This church and the church will not accomplish its task if every believing man and woman doesn't do their part. Continuous service that we never stop. This is not a six week program. The thing that they're talking about isn't a 12-week intensive. It's just intensive. All day, all the time. You are like, but what about the other things? What about the other things? When you stand before God, you will be accountable for the careless words that you have spoken and every deed that you have done. And whether you won the greatest accolades this earth has to offer, if you as a believer did not proclaim Jesus as the Christ, you didn't do it. I'm not saying there's a condemnation, but encouragement. I want us to pay attention to the thing that matters. Because from that flows everything else that we'll do. Teaching and preaching the word and that we would exalt Jesus Christ. Everybody's gotta do their part. And we as a church will do a better job. I will do a better job. I will not allow it only to be preaching for me, but practicing with you. The elders are committed to this. The staff is committed to this. And I want you to be committed to it also. Preaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. There's a lot more to be said, but I don't wanna miss out on being able to worship together. We can talk further if you want. I hope that you'll be encouraged to make an assessment and to know your place and part in the body of Christ so that we can, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And that all the problems that arise within the church, I'm sure you know a few, will be opportunities for us not to be divided and conquered but to love one another, to express faith in God and one another and to examine whether or not we are walking in his way or we are just trying to be the next best thing. We're gonna enter a time of prayer if you would Those of you who are on the prayer team are going to help us this morning. If you'd come forward and we're going to sing a couple of songs and I hope that this will be a time that you can reflect on God's word, that you can reflect in your own life and that maybe it's an opportunity to reprioritize who we are and what we're doing. If you need prayer or if you know someone who needs prayer, this is a great time to do that. Also, this would be the time we normally have our our tithe. Uh, We're not passing the bowl, as you know, but you can go online and you can do that uh, to give your tithe as we use that as worship also. If you'd like to give physically, there's a box out front on your way out that you can offer that too. Father, I ask that as we continue to worship you that you'd be glorified, that you'd be pleased with your people. Oh, Father, would you help us to be controlled by your power, by your spirit, that we would be full of faith and wisdom so that we might be able to discern and accomplish all that you have for us to do. Would you please bless your people in this time as we respond to you in worship? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.